0: All right, so we just finished up, those of you that are maybe are newer or weren't here all summer long, we finished up our series on the life of David, okay? And um, anybody have any big takeaways from the life of David, things that jumped out to you the most that you remember? jumps out to you about the life of David and lessons from his life? Anything? Courageous man, Absolutely had great faith. Good. What else? What do you think of when you think of the life of David? He had a lot of ups and downs. He did. He did. He had a lot of ups and downs. Think of mostly a lot of good things out of his life. But again, like we did our very last one last week on the story of Bathsheba, he did certainly mess up his life pretty good with some really foolish decisions, which we can do. Sometimes we can make really foolish decisions, and there's a big cost to that. Well, all of you are pretty much either back in school or getting ready to go back into school soon. So kind of question along those lines. we gonna be talking about having freedom and confidence in Christ today. We're going to be in Hebrews, so if you want to get your Bibles, you can turn into Hebrews chapter 4. You all have Bibles underneath you. And uh, as you're getting there, what do you think your biggest fear is? And you can share and just shout out. What is your biggest fear or worry this school year? What kind of things are on your mind? Yep. Um, organization. Organization. There you go. A lot to organize. Yep. Not procrastinating. Not procrastinating, right? That's a big one. I've heard that from a lot of students over the years. Good. What else? Biggest fears as a student. Anybody ever afraid of a teacher? Right. Sometimes you can have a cranky teacher that can make a subject you like uh, kind of miserable. Right. You could have pers- maybe a class, just a subject that like this is not my thing. It's really hard. Right. And you can be fearful of a specific subject. Uh, kind of like procrastination, time management. That's always an art and a skill you need for life. Could be uh, home life. Could have nothing to do with school. Right. Could be work. Other responsibilities you have. Sports. Friends, right? So everybody probably, if you really think about it and are honest, has something that weighs on you, right? Something that stresses you out, something that you think about that's concerning to you, it gives you a pit in the in your stomach maybe from time to time. Right? So I want to talk about just having freedom and confidence as a Christian. And because when you have freedom and confidence in Christ, it automatically generates a sense of peace in your life, right? So if you feel a little fearful or you feel a little anxious at all, I want you to know this message is for you. I remember 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety upon him, upon Christ, because he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares in the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Someone that claims Christ as Lord. All right, so again, he tells us in several places in Scripture, one of them being David in his Psalms, to cast our anxiety upon the Lord. It's kind of interesting. Why would Jesus tell us to cast our anxiety upon him? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, I was thinking, if Jesus can admit that we have an anxiety, shouldn't we be able to admit we have anxiety? Right? No, anyway. He knows it anyways. He knows that we're fearful of certain things. He's not afraid of what we're fearful of. And he tells us to cast all of our anxiety upon him. It's actually a command. Not to bottle it up. Not to hide it. Not in our pride to try to, you know, Other people that make you think, hey, I got it all together. I don't deal with that. Right? We are to be comfortable coming to God with our fears and sharing them with Him. Jesus wants you to share your anxiety and your fears with Him. Right? And if that idea is kind of new to you, maybe it makes you nervous, like, oh, I'd come to God with my fears. You know, often people that struggle with stuff, you know, they go to counselors. Right? If they're struggling with finances, they go to a financial advisor. Right? If they're struggling with mechanical work in their car, they go to a mechanic. Right? If they're struggling to fix their house, they go to a carpenter or a plumber. So we're not afraid to go to people for help in lots of areas of life. So why should we be with our anxiety and go to the Lord who is our wonderful counselor? So if you're fearful, I want you to know you can go to a source or a person that's more experienced than you, more confident than you, is reassuring, can calm you down, is understanding, is patient, gives sound advice, good direction, and makes everything sound quite doable. His name is Jesus Christ. All right, so you can go to him. All right, so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Right? Including, as we mentioned, our anxiety and our fears. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right? So God's word is active and alive. It's a living testament, a living word. And it continues to speak to us, speaks to our spirit, and it divides what is right and what is wrong. Not our culture, not the principal of your school, not the teacher of your classroom, not your parents. It says the Bible is what divides what is right and what is wrong. right? Not our culture, not the media. And it continues to speak to us, speaks to our, our spirit, and it divides also deceptive spirits from the Holy Spirit so that we can clearly see the difference. Now, I did a little study on how important it is to read. These are kind of some sad stats, but I I thought I'd share them to you, share them with you. It says only 33% of Americans read a book ever again in their life after graduating high school. Only, or sorry, 33% never read a Bible. Or a book, I mean. Sorry, a book after graduating high school. But still, a third of Americans never read a book again. In other words, they stop learning. They become ignorant, in a way. right? 80% of American families have not purchased a book in a year. 70% of Americans have not, not read a book of adults, this is, have not read a book in the last five years or listened to one. Five years without learning something new through a book or something online. And here's the result of all of this, not continuing to learn. 50% of adults are now below an eighth grade reading level. So if you are a freshman in high school and you get a C in English, you are now more educated in reading and in writing basically than half of the adults in our country. How's that? It kind of goes back to the, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Right? Important to continue to read. Well, along the same lines, there's, there's some uh, interesting stats about the Bible as well. 58% of Christians, people who claim to be Christians, have never read or basically never read the Bible. Extremely rarely read it. So in other words, most people who claim to be a Christian have no idea what Christianity is even about do not read the Bible. I wonder why Christians get such a bad rap in our country. Right, 26% of Christians basically only ever read the Bible at church, which means they're at everybody else's mercy or whoever they're learning from. They don't take any initiation on their own whatsoever. Only 16% of Christians read through the Bible in a five-year time period, which means they're reading. You know, almost one chapter every day. Sixteen percent pursuing the Lord. Right, the only way to be able to know what is good, true, and noble, which is in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, is by reading the Bible. How else are you going to know what is true and good and accurate? Right, and it's, and, and here the author of Hebrews says that the Bible judges not only what is right and wrong, but it can correct attitudes, and even the very motives of your heart. It is revealing, it is refreshing, it is renewing. Right? Talk about a powerful book. You know, what's interesting is that the Soviet Union in its heyday, China today, Iran today, North Korea today, the greatest threat against those countries is not the U.S. economy, it's not the United States military. It's not freedom lovers or democratic ideals. The thing they feel most threatened by is the Bible. It is the thing that they will freak out the most over and punish their citizens the most for if they find in the home. Right? In fact, they will remove children from parents permanently, forever, should they find a Bible in those countries because they're so incredibly threatened by the power of that book and the ideas in the Bible and how much freedom it gives people in life they're terrified of the power of the bible. Right, you know, all of us according to the scripture we are going to give an account someday. Right? And if we have given our life to Jesus, then the last day of your life, no matter how horrible your death on earth is, is going to turn into the absolute best and most amazing day of your life. Because you get to go spend eternity with Jesus, free of pain, free of sorrow, and set free from all the troubles of this world right however if you've spent your whole life rejecting the lord then your last day of your life is really going to turn into a very very miserable day i was on an airplane and uh, i think i mentioned this before but i was having an honest conversation with this lady who was asking a lot of good questions she didn't know i was a pastor <laughs> she figured it out about halfway through um but she said at one point in our conversation, we started talking about a lot of spiritual things. And she said at one point in our conversation, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. And You probably hear that in some of your you know, classmates and stuff. I think roughly, literally about every single person out there um, in the world, as long as they're not an absolute atheist, believe in heaven. and uh, But only really about 75% or so uh, Americans believe in hell. There's about a quarter of that probably don't right now. And I I just responded by, well, where do you think, how do you think God can honor if He gives us free will? She understood free will, that we get to make choices. If people are given the ability to choose and God doesn't turn us into robots and He gives us the ability whether we want to honor Him or not, whether we want to read the Bible or not, whether we want to conform to God's word or not, uh, whether we want to ask for repentance of sins or not, then what do you do with somebody who spent their whole life? Tell them, God, I don't want you in my life. Where are they supposed to go? If God wants to honor their request through free will. See, I simply believe that hell is God honoring someone's request that says, I don't want you in my life. And they spend their entire life, every single day, rejecting the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They say, I don't want you to be Lord of my life. I don't want you in my life. And hell is their... Essentially, a reward for rejecting God because hell is the separation of the presence of God in their life. And He gives them exactly what they've been asking for. The response was, huh, never thought of it that way before. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 continues and says, Therefore, understanding the power of the Bible, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, again, because the Bible is the most powerful book on the planet, it's been more read and printed than any other book, it's been more criticized and, and torn apart and analyzed more than any other book on the planet, and it's the greatest weapon we have against the enemy of our souls, because Jesus is on the throne of heaven, standing next to the Father, we can hold firmly and with confidence and with peace and with freedom that we have Jesus our high priest our advocate in heaven. so who knows what traditionally historically in the Jewish uh, faith what the, what was the high priest's job because this is a very kind of Jewish uh, illustration you got to understand a little bit yep Isaac mm-hmm. Yep. So if you think about the temple, the temple of Jerusalem, nobody was allowed inside the temple, but who? The priests, right? And then inside the temple, there was a further separation. No one was allowed into the holy of holies except for who? The high priest, and how often? Once a year, right? So there was the separation from God because of what? Sin. Right? God is holy. So he has to keep his presence separate from sin. The only reason we can get to heaven is because of the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus, which gives us the ability then to go into the holy presence of God because we're covered by the grace of God. That's what this is talking about. Right? So the high priest would lead the church. Uh, he would intercede for the, for the people of their sin, like Isaac was talking about. He would also help kind of lead the way and make new laws and stuff. Well, Jesus, as a high priest, he leads the church. That's the job. He leads the church today. He intercedes just like the high priest would have done then for, the, for us and for humanity, for the sins of the people of God. And he prays for you. Did you know that? It says in Scripture that he prays for you. He prays specifically that your faith would be sustained, that you wouldn't turn your back on God. And he advocates for you. In other words, he cheers for you and he brags about you to the Father telling him how awesome you are. Because he loves you. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to assist you. So Jesus as the great high priest is the best advocate you'll ever have in life. Advocate on behalf of your sins and advocate on behalf of your good deeds, equipping you, Cheering you on, etc. And the thing that's really cool about Jesus is he understands your temptations. Right? He gets you, he gets humanity. He was here. He understands your shortcomings. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your fears. He understands your anxiety, which is why he tells you to cast it upon him. Now I think of when it comes to casting, I think of a, a fisherman. Hunter likes fishing, right? And the worst thing that could happen to a fisherman is if his line gets all messed up, right? I mean, that would just be an absolute nightmare. You go out to go enjoy the lake or whatever, and then you can't cast anything, right? I think of when you don't cast your anxiety upon the Lord and you hold it in for too long, it's like your whole line, everything gets all messed up and out of whack, and you're all stressed, right? And your emotions get out of line, and your words get out of line, and your attitude gets out of line. It's because you're holding in all this anxiety. God tells us to cast, right? To let the line out, to cast all of your anxiety upon the Lord, to get it out, to let it go. He's basically telling you to throw up on Him. Did you know that? God's telling you to get it out because it's super unhealthy for you and you can't bear it. You're supposed to let it out to Him, not to go puke up on all your friends and make them a, as big of a mess as you are. He says to let God. Go to your private place, in your private room, and let God know how you're really feeling. High Priest gives us a promise. It's one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible. He tells us that he promises to give us mercy and grace in proportion to our need. You know, if you look around, you know, sometimes people, um, we forget God's perspective Right, That we're all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And we look at people next to us and we think, man, that guy's life's a mess. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He's a jerk. I hope he gets what's coming to him. And then we look at somebody else and we're like, oh, man, I wish I was like that person. They're so much better than I am. We compare ourselves. Right? And the cool thing about this scripture is that God says that his grace, his proportion, his forgiveness is just what you need no matter where you'd rate yourself on a scale and that every day, the way God's kingdom is set up, is that you can go to him and receive your grace or your proportion in proportion to the need you have. And he's not telling you to go purposely mess up, but he is telling you that his grace is sufficient for you and it can cover you and forgive you and restore you and empower you. Comes in proportion to the needed that we have out of the generous hand of our Savior Jesus Christ, and He gives us this really cool command. He says, "Let us." It's an imperative command, which means basically it sounds like it's a strong suggestion, right? "Let us," but it's not actually a strong suggestion. It's actually an absolute command. He's just nicely commanding us. You know, I think of this with my with my kids. Um, you know, sometimes. As a parent, you tell your kids, hey, you need to do such and such, or you really should do such and such. It sounds like a suggestion, right? And it really kind of is at first, but if your parent tells you and suggests something to you like four or five times, are they really suggesting it anymore? No. They're trying to tell you, get after this, right? Because it's driving me nuts. It needs to be driving you nuts. And so they drive you nuts, right? That's an imperative command. It sounds like a suggestion, but it's really not, right? And let us, is this, this way. It's actually an absolute command. Jesus tells us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Just like he tells us to cast all of his anxiety on him, he doesn't tell, he tells us not to hold back. Do not hold back. He says approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So, why would Jesus be so absolutely adamant? What do you think? Why would he be so absolutely adamant that we approach his throne of grace with confidence? What do you think? 100%, absolutely. Emma? Yeah, so Emma said that she can be confident that God will take care of you. 100%. It's absolutely right. He's telling us to approach him with confidence because you're trusting that God, you're big enough for this problem. You're strong enough, you're smart enough, you're more powerful enough, you're forgiving enough, you're kind enough, you got this, God. And so I can approach your throne of grace with confidence. Very good. Why, what else? Why else might he tell us to approach his throne of grace with confidence? Okay, good. Yep. So we don't lose faith in him. We practice our faith, right? What else? Yep, I think you're dishonoring him, right? It's like somebody who, uh, it's like if you need to get to school, you got your driver's license and your parent buys you a car and they say, I want you to drive this. And you're like, nah, I'm gonna go do it my own way. They'd be like, what? Right? Right? And wouldn't most of your friends be like, what? You don't want to drive the brand new car your parents got you? Right? Jesus is equipped to give us what we need. And if we don't go to him for it, we're dishonoring the sacrifice that he made for us. Do you get that? He paid the cost already. So it's dishonoring to him not to go to him. Ephesians 2:8 says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Right? We don't want to hold back and dismiss the grace of God. Dismiss the cost and the sacrifice that Jesus made or to dishonor his position as our high priest. So Jesus is like saying, "Hey, friend. Man up. Right? Approach the throne of grace. With confidence, ugly sin and all, anxiety and all, shame and all, nerves and all. Initiate, approach the throne of grace. Love this quote by Pastor Lori. Uh, I know I shared it last week, but I'm gonna share it again. She said, sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. Sin will take you farther than you wanna go, Keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be stuck in sin. And the only way not to be stuck in sin is to approach the throne of grace. It's the only way. It's the only way to break the bondage of sin. But it takes courage, it takes strength, it takes humility. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. I want to read just a little section of it real fast. This is when Jesus was on the cross. And I just want to explain to you the significance of him being the high priest and what happened. So Luke chapter 23, and he's already on the cross. says it was about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. So three hours go by. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Okay, so Jesus, again, he commits his spirit into the hands of the Father. um, And Jesus obviously fulfills the Father's plan for the destiny on his life. But there's two really cool miracles that take place. The first is for about three hours, there's darkness in the land. Which means one of two things. Either there was an actual eclipse that made it really dark, possible. Or there is a supernatural, extremely dark cloud that makes it appear as night. Either way, everyone, especially in that time in the world, really would have paid attention to that. Freaked them out. In fact, when it came dark, I don't know if you know this or not, but all the priests and everybody who's mocking him, got out of there. They recognized something was really wrong. So even the very people who were, except for the Roman soldiers that life was on the line, everybody else bailed, except for Jesus' closest friends that became an intimate crowd and the Roman soldiers. Everybody else got out of there with this dark, either cloud or eclipse. They recognized something was really wrong. Secondly, there was a huge earthquake that took place, and part one of the scriptures to share that. And this curtain, which would have been about four inches thick, was torn in two. You can imagine a huge curtain that goes up. I can't remember how tall it was exactly, but right in the middle of it, it gets torn in two. This four-inch tear. Right. This is a supernatural event. It's not lost on them that there's an earthquake and suddenly there's this tear from top to bottom on your like grandma's quilt on steroids. Right. Things don't just tear like that. Would have freaked them out. At the same moment that Jesus died, it was signifying that now the separation between god's holy presence and others is over. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the at the well and uh, he says that there will come a time when you will be able to worship god not in this place or this place but in spirit and in truth. That he opened that he's opening the door. You don't have to go to just a specific place a temple in order to have Close relationship with God. And the high priest role effectively ended that day because Jesus took the high priest role. There was literally no need for Israel to have a high priest after the death of Jesus Christ, he was now their high priest. Scripture again? Oh. Yeah. So Hebrews 4, I'll read Hebrews 4 again real fast. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I'm gonna talk really quick about devotion and then we're gonna wrap up. So devotion, again, is the purposeful or enthusiastic commitment of one's time, talents, and treasures toward a person or a cause. So again, anybody that's going to be super successful at something that's going to be devoted. doesn't matter if it's in their marriage. doesn't matter if it's a sport. doesn't matter if it's a career. doesn't matter if they're in faith. If they're going to be really successful in something, they're going to show devotion. The purposeful or enthusiastic commitment of one's time, talents, and treasures toward a person or a cause. And you know, I believe Jesus is worthy of our devotion. But it doesn't happen by accident. You have to choose with purpose in your life to approach God's throne of grace with confidence and to receive daily your portion of grace or mercy. Remember the Lord's Prayer? When he asked them to, to give us our, today our daily bread, Jesus is asking the Father for his daily portion. Right? Now, you can take it literally, God, please provide my daily needs physically. But he's also asking, Lord, give me my, what I need today spiritually. Give me my, my portion of grace today. All right? You know, I believe there's going to be a few things that will exemplify a life that's truly devoted to Jesus. The first is that somebody's going to be reading their Bible. It is the Word of God. And we know again, based on stats, there's only about sixteen percent of self-professing Christians that are doing that. But it's the most powerful book on the world and it's the manual for life. If you really are devoted to Jesus, you're going to be in his word. You'll have peace and confidence that passes understanding. I remember uh, just a fun, quick story. When Gavin was an infant, he was in Seattle Children's Hospital, and uh, he was having heart surgery. And I remember specifically a couple things that happened um, that just exemplify this idea of peace that passes understanding. It's another section of Scripture. But uh, I was on the airplane, and the life flight in Missoula, and we're getting ready to take off. We, you know, we take off, and I'm snapping pictures of stuff. I help them load him on. He's in like in this little time capsule space thing. I'm mean, gonna hopefully on Sunday I'm gonna talk about this some more, but I'll have to see if I can get find the picture. But anyways, so I'm taking pictures and stuff and talking to the, the medics. There's two putts, and there's two medics. There's me and then there's this. Basically, it's an actually adult size. What do you call it when you lift people up on the gurney? But it's, since it's an infant, it's actually in this little tiny thing to hold him in there and strap him in there. So it looks like it literally looks like a little science fiction space. Thing that he's inside of and after a while finally the nurses look at each other and they turn around to me and I'm just like oh what did I do something wrong you know and they're like we have never in 10 years had somebody smiling talking to us and taking pictures and I said well when we're on the tarmac I decided I had two choices one was to freak out and spend this whole flight crying Or I can trust that God has this under his control and that he loves my son even more than I do and there's going to be really good results and I need to take some pictures so I can brag about God someday. (laughs) And they're like, went back to what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Then another thing that was kind of cool, and again, it shows us that we we can receive our daily portion of grace. I was in the elevator. uh, This is about a week after in the middle of this process. And um, one guy is this really big African-American guy, huge smile on his face. And he's a Christian guy. And he's just like, praise God, praise God. I'm I'm getting to go home and all this cool stuff's going on. And I, I don't remember everything he said. I just remember him being really, really excited. And I was thinking, man, I wish I was that excited. And then I get on the elevator with another guy. And he's just like, totally dejected now we're all in the same elevator going to the same thing we all have infants or young children that are having heart surgery okay and i started asking him questions i'm like oh man is this kid dying his kid was great he was getting ready to go home but everything about him was dejected because he was worried about all these tons of things instead of focusing on what was positive same situation 100 different results and choices Jesus has grace for you for life that passes your understanding. And you can walk in it if you cast your anxiety upon him and trust him and go to him to receive your daily portion of grace. Again, keep in mind when you're struggling that Jesus is actually bragging about you and that he loves you very much. 1 John 4 4 says, The Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When you're devoted to Jesus, you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're going to go on an amazing adventure with Him. Again, I uh, hope each and every one of you that your last day on earth is your absolute best. Because you've lived a life devoted to Jesus. And no matter how miserable, the last day is whether you're super old, whether stuff gets even crazier and people start getting martyred or horrible things start happening to us. That the last day on earth, no matter how that goes, is going to be the best day of your life because you get to go spend an eternity with Jesus. You by your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're well, thankful for the, the sacrifices you made and that you are our high priest. That you truly do want us to come to you and want us to come to you boldly and with courage and not hold back. Not only say a little bit, but let it all out, Lord, to you. We're thankful that you forgive us 100% when we are genuine in our repentance and our acknowledgement of our faults. Lord Jesus, I just want to give the students a chance to respond to the message tonight. Not everybody here may be a, a child of yours. They may be, may know a lot about you, but may be rejecting your grace and your portion for them. And I just want to give you guys a chance with all your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If anybody here is in a place where you're like, I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that the last day of my life, I will get to spend eternity with Jesus. And you want the forgiveness and the grace of God in your life. And you've never given your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to be devoted and sold out for you. And if that's you and you want to change your story and know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive you, would you just raise your hand and look up at me? You could spend eternity with God. Lord, we give you the rest of this night. Lord, I pray you'd help this word to rest deep within our soul in your word. And we'd understand your purposes for us as your high priest. And that you would empower us for life, Lord. Give us boldness and courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.